All right, so uh, I've been reading a book this year um, by John Ortberg. John Ortberg is a pastor who used to be at Bill Hybels Church, Willow Creek. Uh, eventually, he was sent out to uh, help give leadership to a church in the San Francisco area called Menlo Park Bap- uh, Presbyterian Church. And he's uh, written several books. Uh, I found this book at Torch Trinity's um, book sale a couple of years ago. It's called The Me I Want to Be. Becoming God's Best Version of You. And uh, picked it up not expecting too much. And this year I started cracking it and reading it. And from chapter one, I mean, it really just captured uh, my attention with all of the wisdom that uh, he has in regards to spiritual formation. Uh, The book is about uh, spiritual growth. Uh, Some people call spiritual growth spiritual formation. Uh, we also talk about spiritual disciplines, which are activities that help us to uh, grow in spiritual formation. Spiritual formation simply means having uh, maturity formed in you, having Christ formed in you as you grow in your relationship with God. Uh, so everyone say spiritual formation. formation. And if you ever read a book on spiritual formation, many times what you will read... Books like uh, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. Uh, You'll read about things like prayer, fasting, uh, worship, reading your Bible, uh, going away on a personal retreat, uh, connecting with your church community. You know, different aspects that help you to grow and mature as a Christian. Good spiritual formation is going to include all of a balance of these things. But if you really think about spiritual discipline, it's a very short list, isn't it? Um, one common question is that one common question that Christians like to each ask each other is, "How is your spiritual walk going?" Now, when someone asks you that, how do you answer? It's good. It's all right. I mean, what are the first things you immediately think of? You think about how many quiet times you're not doing. (laughs) When was the last time you really called upon the Lord in your prayer closet? When was the last time you read your Bible regularly? You know, you think about these spiritual disciplines that are supposed to contribute to our spiritual growth and formation. But oftentimes we have a very short list in our minds. And so what ends up, the question, how is your spiritual walk going, is really the question, how is your devotional life? How, is your, how many QTs did you have this past month? That's what we really interpret it as because of the short list of disciplines we think of when it comes to spiritual growth and maturity. Well, something about that throughout my entire Christian walk bothered me. That our spirituality, a lot of times, is assessed by our quiet times. And so, it bothered me because a lot of times I go to a youth group retreat growing up in the church. And I would say about two-thirds of all sermons I ever heard growing up in youth group was, have more quiet time. That was the basic message. Pray more. Read your Bible more. 
Have your quiet time more. You go to a retreat, you have the spiritual high, everybody's jumping up and down, everyone's hugging each other, loving each other. And at the end of the retreat, the pastor says, all right, we hit the spiritual high, but if you don't do your part, you're going to hit a spiritual low. And the best way to stay in the spiritual high is go do your quiet time. So make sure you do your quiet time. And something about that, it always bothered me. That Christians so narrowly define their relationship with God by just such a short list of spiritual disciplines. Mainly quiet times, prayer and reading the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to pray. And we need to read the scriptures. Amen? I mean, the Bible tells us that even Jesus, when he was uh, God the Son, came in the flesh, walking on this earth, he knew the Father, he knew his heart. But the Bible tells us that uh, even after a long day of ministering to thousands of people, he will wake up early in the morning and steal away to a secluded place and to go out to pray, to be with the Lord, to be with the Father. Right? Uh, we need to do that in our own Christian walks. But for us to define our spirituality and assess our relationship with God based solely on that, something about that, it always irked me. You know, uh, let me make a confession here. I'm, a, I'm, the, I'm your pastor, right? I'm your lead pastor. I'm a strong man of God, right? I lead, I lead the people of God into the promised land, you know? I'm... I'm serving and leading you, right? But I have a confession. Ever since I became a Christian in fourth grade, my spiritual uh, disciplines, my quiet times, were not always consistent. <gasps> have I just disqualified myself in your eyes? <laughs> right? I had seasons where I'd be having quiet times every day. And then the other seasons where I have it like twice a week. And I even had seasons where I, I just had quiet time once a month. <gasps> pastor Christian, you? Not after you became a pastor, right? Yes, even after I became a pastor. <laughs> and I will meet up with a man of God. Like Pastor John Michael. <laughs> or Pastor John Newfeld. And if, if they ever ask me, or I ask them, hey, how you doing? And I just ask them, how you doing? And they would answer with, you know, my quiet times are going great. I'm having it every single day. I'm praying to the Lord. And, you know, very disciplined. And then they would ask me. And I'd be like, hold on, we're talking about you. Let's just talk about you. I'm your pastor. I'm concerned about some of this stuff going on in your life. Let's talk about you. Why? Because a lot of times I was embarrassed. Because my quiet times were not as disciplined during those seasons. But here's the thing. I felt close to God. I felt like I was walking in the will of God. I felt nearness with God. Even though I wasn't having nearly as disciplined quiet times like Pastor John Michael. I'm just using Pastor John Michael as, a, as, a, as an example. Because he is a person who is naturally disciplined. 
That's part of his uh, design, God's design for him and his temperament personality mix. And so he does it very consistently. And, I, and we ought to admire and honor him for that. But I'm talking to you and saying that I don't have that. I'm not geared that way. I'm a little more spontaneous. But even during those times when I wasn't having such consistent quiet times, I still felt the nearness of God. I felt filled by the Spirit of God. So today I want to talk about Spirit-led spiritual formation. Okay, I want to talk about redefining what spiritual devotion looks like. Expanding your view of an assessment of your spirituality. Expanding what activities can help you to grow toward godliness. Okay, and so we're going to talk about that today. Now, I want to begin by saying that God created you, and he created you fearfully, wonderfully, and unique. Here's the thought. No one on the entire planet right now has the same fingerprint as you do. Nobody in the entire earth right now. You would think you would run out of patterns for a finger, right? But no one else has the same fingerprint as you do right now on this earth, on this planet. Here's another thought. In all of human history, no one has ever had the same set of fingerprints as you do today. You are indeed uniquely made. Not only are you unique in fingerprints, you are unique in your looks, the shape of your eyes, the distance of your eyeballs. Um, you know, the, you, you ever play with a Nintendo Wii and you make your own, um, you know, a little figure, Mimi or whatever, right? Or Avatar, whatever. If you just expand the eyes, the distance between the eyes, the person looks radically different. That's God. That's God. When he created you, he was like, how, how much distance do I want to give? You know, some people's eyes are real close together. And then noses, your, your cheeks, your lips, the size of your lips, your hair, the kinds of hair, color of hair, height. I mean, God created you to be totally unique of anyone else who has ever lived on the face of the earth. And here's another thought. You are the first person that's uniquely you to ever have a relationship with God. You are uniquely created. And, and God wants a personal relationship with you. And when he looks to have that personal relationship with you, he's not going... Oh, James Song? Oh, yeah, he's just like 5,000 other people who've lived before him. No, God looks at James Song and it's like, I am so excited to build this personal relationship with James because he is unlike anyone else there ever has been in all of history. Pretty incredible thought, amen? God longs to build personal relationship with you and because of the fall because of sin 
and we've been broken in our relationship and fellowship with God, he longs to, through the blood of Christ, not only redeem you, but restore you to a place of oneness with him. So that nothing can hinder your love between each other. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, die on the cross, paid a penalty of your sin, so that when he restores relationship with God, it's not just, hey, we cool, God. Why are we cool? I have just right standing, that's it? No, right standing is just the beginning from which we are restored into oneness with God. God wants oneness and intimacy with us. Amen? And here's what I want to begin as we talk about spiritual formation, okay? God wants you to be you. He doesn't want you to be like Pastor Christian. He doesn't want you to be like your community group leader. He doesn't want you to be like Billy Graham. He wants you to be you. He created your personality. He created your humor. He created your quirkiness. He, and he likes you for you. He doesn't want you to pretend to be anyone else. He wants relationship with you. And that means there's only one person that can be you. And that's you. You got to learn how to like yourself. And be yourself. Amen? All right, so I want to lay that down first, is that God wants you to be you. Uh, now, let's turn to Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. I'm going to read in the ESV. Famous verse. Great to memorize. Ephesians 2.10, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship. Uh, Another translation, we are his masterpiece. Tell your neighbor, you are his masterpiece. Tell him, I am his masterpiece. <laughs> you know how John Orberg says it in his book. He says, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. You are not his appliance. Appliances... Are mass produced. Masterpieces. Are handcrafted. And not only did. God. Design you intricately. Intricately himself. And each one so unique. He didn't. He didn't take a cookie cutter. And was like. You know let me create a thousand Koreans. Bam 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 bam. (laughs) Alright there's some similarities. Among the Koreans but you know. He didn't do that, right? He, each and every Korean, like he, he handcrafted, right? But not only that, but your spiritual formation 
God is also handcrafting, not mass producing. But a lot of Christians, we think spiritual formation is about mass production. You know, if you ever have a guest speaker come, I won't name guest speaker, but let's say you have a guest speaker come and let's say they talk about their spiritual walk. They come up and I I love Jesus. You know what I do every morning? I wake up, I get down on my knees and I pray for three hours. I just seek the face of the Lord and I just get, I feel so good. I just pray for three hours and I do that every single day, even on Sundays. Uh, whenever I've seen guest speakers or pastors talk like that, I mean, how, how, how does that make you feel? Do you, do you feel inspired or guilty? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a full-time minister. And when they say that, I feel incredibly guilty. Because I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, that's how a full-time pastor should live. On his knees. Ought to pray. Two, three hours a day. That ought to be the norm. Yeah. But if I told you the truth, truth, man, most of the time I wasn't inspired. I just felt really frustrated with my own spiritual walk. and felt very guilty. I felt like a failure. And not only my, myself as a pastor, but you as just a full-time worker or a full-time student. You may feel the same thing. Instead of feeling inspired by somebody who talks about this incredible spiritual walk, you listen and you just think, man, and you put them on a pedestal and you go, wow, I'll never be like that. I hope I can just do even a fraction of that. And we end up comparing and just feel frustrated because, but here's the truth. What works for someone else may not necessarily work for you. And so if you're thinking of spiritual formation as a mass-produced appliance, then yes, what Pastor Yonggi Cho did to build up the largest church in the, uh, in, the, in the world, yeah, we ought to imitate that if spirituality was mass-produced. But if spirituality is handcrafted and unique to each and every person, then we got to expand our view a little bit. And so today, I want to do that with y'all. God's plan for growing you in godliness, shaping you to be the mature you, will not look like his plan for shaping your neighbor. It will not look like any plan for shaping anyone on this earth. God's plan for you will be unique to you. Amen? Amen. Now, trying to follow a generic plan for spiritual growth or trying to follow a guest speaker's plan for spiritual growth, it may end up frustrating you because you are not created in the same way as that person. So let's talk about today. What is spirit-led spiritual formation look like? How can you be you? And how can you, while being you, grow into the mature you? The you that is able to manifest godliness and righteousness. 
manifests the character, the love of Christ. How can you, while being you, mature into the mature you? Let's talk about that today. All right. All right, here we go. All right, so uh, John Orberg, uh, he says it like this. He says, the main measure of your devotion to God is not your devotional life. It is simply your life. Your devotion to God should not be assessed simply by your QTs. Your devotion to God ought to be measured by your life. Um, And so there's five questions that John Orberg brings out that we ought to ask ourselves that will help us to land at a very unique way for us to grow into the mature us. So five questions. I'm going to go with number one here. Number first question you want to ask yourself is what brings me life? Okay. If you want to expand your spiritual formation today, ask yourself, what brings me life? Now, when Christians ask each other, hey, how's your spiritual walk going? Right? We, we only think of a very short list, right? You know, how, when's the last time I fasted? When's the last time I prayed? When's the last time I did my quiet time? Right? But John Orkberg, he proposes an alternative question. Instead of asking each other, hey, how's your spiritual walk going? Why don't you learn to ask each other, hey, Joe, tell me, this past month, what made you feel most fully alive? What did you engage in in recent weeks that makes you feel fully alive? And different people may answer differently. Because when it comes down to it, everyone experiences feeling fully alive at some point in their life. And everyone longs to live in that experience of being fully alive. Amen? I mean, who wants to go to work and feel dead? You want to go to work and you want to believe that the work that you're doing is making making you feel energized. It makes you feel alive. You feel good to be alive. You feel glad to be alive. What makes you feel alive? You know, personally, I feel fully alive when I read a good Christian book. It has to be nonfiction. Okay, I'm sorry, C.S. Lewis. I cannot stand the Chronicles of Narnia. I tried it. Lord of the Rings. Hey, hey, I'm uniquely me. All right, don't judge me. Don't judge me. I tried it already. All right, the movie's good enough. Okay, even the Chronicles of Narnia movie was kind of... I think I much prefer uh, uh, what we got out here right now, the um, uh, Catching Fire, uh, the, the, the Hunger Games, yeah. Those movies are better, better than Chronicle Narnia movies. Anyway, um, look, it has to be nonfiction for me. Life is short. Why would I read fiction? All right, oh, man-made imagination. Uh, that's, I'm sorry I'm judging you right now, but that's what I... Honestly, think that's what I honestly think. That's my reason. So yeah, I don't enjoy reading Christian fiction. It has to be nonfiction. But when I when I get a good nonfiction Christian book 
And I start reading it, and I start reading about leadership. I start reading about uh, someone else's spirituality. I start reading testimonies. I start reading about the Holy Spirit's power. I start reading about, you know, church growth. Man, I just get alive. I'm, I just start taking notes, and I just start highlighting my book, and I just, I just go crazy. <laughs> and I mean, but let me tell you, let me tell you. That's, that's what makes me feel fully alive. Now, does that happen with the Bible? Yeah, it does happen with the Bible. It doesn't happen all the time with the Bible. But it happens with the Bible too. But, you know, some people, they, they swear. It's like, you know, have you read any Christian books? They go, no, I only read the Bible. <laughs> As if like they're doing something great and I'm doing something bad. All right, if reading the Bible works for you and only reading the Bible works for you, then great. But remember what Charles Spurgeon said. He who does not quote others will not be himself be quoted. He who does not read others will not himself be read. He who refuses to use the thoughts of others shows that he has no mind of his own. Oh, hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? You know, so, you know, reading the Bible is important and good and all. But, you know, reading what other Christian authors have contributed, probably, you know, you might want to. You might want to give it a few reads, you know. Um, but, you know, what's funny is sometimes I'll, I'll read a book that I really enjoy, and I'll give it to my wife, Pastor Aaron. I'll give it to Aaron, and I'll just watch her face to see if she gets nearly as excited as I did about the pages that I have read. And I, and I tell you, about, about two-thirds of the time, I'm looking at her face, And I'm like, are you, are, are you there? <laughs> and she does not get nearly as excited. Okay, and then she'll, she'll close the book, you know, and open up her iPhone, right? And she's just reading something on her iPhone. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> and she just looks like she's having a blast. And I'm like, what are you reading? And she says, little woman. How could you spend all that time reading this fiction book called Little Women? But for her, that's what makes her feel alive. Reading fiction books. Or she'll be on there and she'll just be like, oh, 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 honey, look at this. Oh, honey, look at this. I'll be like, all right. And it's, it's just videos of random babies. And so, you know, it'll go from babies that she knows, you know, from her friends and family. And then like two hours later, she's still at it. And it's just random babies by then. I I just don't understand. But for her, she feels most fully alive when she looks at videos of babies. Okay. Don't judge, right? Now, maybe for you, you may feel most fully alive when you go for a long walk. You watch a sunset. You engage in extreme sports. Or you just gather some friends whose company you just enjoy and you just laugh the night away. And you come away thinking, I spent this night so well. I just feel so fully alive. You know, and I can could, I could remember, I, I, I also delight in that. I realized that I'm an extrovert. So uh, if I spend time 
with friends that I, whose company I enjoy. And I just like laugh with them. You know, I used to have friends in high school that loved like Will Ferrell and that kind of slapstick, slapstick kind of humor. And I, it, just, it just used to crack me up. And I just love spending time with them. We, it'll just be, it looked like foolishness, right? But I, I would just feel so alive just laughing the night away. And perhaps you feel most alive when you do that. Or maybe you just need to get in the car by yourself and take a long drive. Maybe it's watching a movie with a friend or by yourself. <laughs> you know, my wife enjoys watching movies by herself. I have never done that in my entire life. <laughs> I'm scared to do that. I think the loneliness would just consume me. <laughs> I can't imagine watching, but she, 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 she likes it. She enjoys it. She does it. Uh, perhaps it's playing an instrument, wa- watching a football game. Okay. Now, you might not think of these things as spiritual activities, Right? But think of it this way. A spiritual, act, a spiritual discipline is simply an activity you engage in that makes you feel fully alive by the Spirit of God. Remember that watching a football game or going and watching a sunset, you would think, how does that contribute to my spiritual growth? And let me tell you how. Because in the Bible, it talks about whether you eat or drink, Do it all for the glory of God. If you do it, the kingdom of God is about joy, peace, righteousness in the Holy Spirit. So when you delight in things and you do things that makes you fully alive and you do it by the Spirit of God, you're actually contributing to your spiritual growth. You think God is up there going, hey, wait. Can you finish up your football game so we can spend some time together? No, if I'm enjoying my Eagles game and I'm going, hallelujah, praise the Lord for another touchdown. Fly, Eagles, fly. And as I'm singing that song, the fight song for the Philadelphia Eagles football team, and I do it by the Holy Spirit of God, and I'm inviting the presence of God into that place to delight with me, then that activity is an activity that makes me feel fully alive in the Holy Spirit. And that is just as good as a spiritual discipline. Because for you, it makes you feel fully alive. It may not be for your neighbor, but for you, it makes you feel fully alive. Now, this is not the same thing as do whatever you feel like. Okay? Now, we must discern between activities that may feel good, but do not lead to life. And do not involve the Holy Spirit. For example, if you indulge in too much alcohol or food or compulsive sexual activity, you're obviously not inviting Holy Spirit as you take another chug of beer and you're over-intoxicating yourself. Right? Those things may feel good, but it doesn't lead to life. But go and watch a movie If you do it by the Spirit of God and with the Spirit of God, it can actually lead to life. Because you're enjoying it onto the glory of God. Uh, These other activities that may feel good but doesn't lead to life, it often leads to guilt, regret, or addiction. And so those things we have to be discerning about. Now, 
the things that make us feel fully alive, here's another thing, may not always make us the most comfortable. For example, going on a mission trip, being led by the Spirit to give a very large offering, uh, or confessing your sins at community group. These things at the moment will feel very uncomfortable or even scary. But as you do it, and afterward, you will feel fully alive. You, you, will, you know, there's some people, they're all like, oh, I'm so scared. I don't want to talk about these sins. Oh, I don't, want to, I don't want to let my walls down and be vulnerable in front of my community group. And they're so scared. And they're like, oh, I'd rather not go. I'd rather not go. And then they do it. And then people respond with, we're so glad you confessed. Instead of being like, you are a sinner. <laughs> wow, you dirty little sinner. <laughs> like, that's what people are afraid of. Right? That's what the devil tries to whisper is going to happen. But when good, mature Christians surround them and say, wow, you know what? I'm so glad you confess. Now we just, we just want to pray the word of God over you. That as you've confessed them and laid those things before the cross, the blood of Christ covers over and cleanses you from that unrighteousness. Come on. And then you come out of that community group, what feeling? Alive. That's what it's all about. So sometimes things that make you feel alive may not make you feel comfortable initially. But when you do them, you feel alive. You know, so many times I go on a mission trip to a third world country. If you're in here, and as I'm your pastor, you want my heart. My heart is, you got to go on a mission trip to a third world country. If you want to understand my heart, okay, you got you to gotta be able to be calm and uh, professional in the context of affluent people, as well as being willing to hold the hands of the homeless, the broken, and the poor in the slums of India. Like, if you can't do both or you haven't experienced both, you don't really know the fullness of my heart because that's the path God's brought me on. But when you go on a mission trip to a third world country and, you, you, you know, and you know, in the morning, you know, the host pastor says, oh, today, Pastor Christian, you will preach in the slums. You know, I don't go, yeah, <laughs> let's preach in the slums. I'm going, oh, snap, it's going to be dirty up in there. I better bring my antibacterial gel, you know. Oh, man, it's going to be all kinds of mosquitoes. Maybe the mosquitoes might have malaria. Like, you know, I'm getting uncomfortable. But when I've obeyed and stepped out and preached and seen the Holy Spirit come and bring healing, or just like the people don't look like they have stone-cold faces, they don't look like they're even understanding my message, But afterwards, they respond to the altar call and they come up for prayer. They come up to receive Christ. And I walk away from that slum feeling fully alive and feeling glad that I was able to serve and represent Christ that way. That's what it's all about. So don't assess your spirituality with a short list of things that you should do. I want you to expand that list today. Think about all the things that make you feel alive, whether it's tipping generously Working at your job with joy. Listening to a friend with patience. Whatever it is, there are so many moments in our life where we can live in the flow of the Holy Spirit and make us feel full of life. You know, no relationship can be built on 
purely on just a list of shoulds. You know, if, if I try to build my marriage with Aaron based on just a list of obligations, she will not feel loved. We will not experience intimacy. You know, why'd you get me these flowers? Because that's what a good husband does, honey. Why'd you make me breakfast in bed? Because uh, John Michael assigned it for homework. <laughs> I mean, if everything I did was because of a list of obligations and shoulds, my wife is not going to feel love for me. Why would you think the same for God? If the only reason you're going to your quiet time is because what a good Christian does, Lord. You know, your, your, your intimacy with God is, is not going to get very deep. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we must understand that God wants to build up our spirituality on more than just a short list of shoulds. God's way more creative than that. He wants us to build up our spiritual growth and maturity in such a wide diverse of ways that's unique to you. So I want you to think about the things that make you feel fully alive. Uh, This is what John Orberg said. He says, sustainable spiritual growth happens when I actually want to do the things I ought to do. This means I have to change how I think about what counts as spiritual. For Listen to this. For what makes an activity spiritual is not the activity itself. It is whether or not I do it with and through the Holy Spirit. You can do quiet times every single day for the next six months. But it does not mean automatically that you're a spiritual Christian now. Because the activity itself, once again, is not what makes it spiritual. It's whether you do it in and through the Holy Spirit. And hallelujah, every single Monday... I watch that Eagles game. I do it in and through the Holy Spirit. Because I know it is the Holy Spirit that gives power to my Eagles players to sack the quarterback (laughs) and make the touchdown. But, you know, for Aaron and our upcoming baby and myself, this has become a family ritual that spontaneously happened. And we're committed to every single week, but we do it with joy. And there's a real joy. Like when we see a touchdown scored, I mean, baby's jumping inside of her womb. Erin's jumping. She's, you know, I've taught her well. And, uh, and we genuinely, now we just overflow with joy. We feel alive when we see the Eagles games. And some people be like, well, that's not spiritual. Well, no. For us, that's what makes us feel alive right now. And I just want to apologize in advance to all the Redskins and Giants fans. <laughs> Maybe next year for y'all. My father, forgive me. I, I didn't mean that. <laughs> anyway, what makes an activity spiritual is not what the activity itself. It's whether you do it in and through the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, second, what is my temperament? First question is, what makes me feel fully alive? Second is, what is my temperament? You know, there are two popular temperament tests. One is Myers-Briggs. The other is Hippocrates' four temperament model. I personally prefer the latter model made by uh, the famous Greek philosopher Hippocrates. Uh, Why? Am I saying that wrong? What's wrong with (laughs) y'all? 
Oh, okay. It's Hippocrates, all right. Uh, it's four temper model, sanguine, choleric, phlegmatic, melancholy. All you have to do is remember four and know that there's a blend of these two that every person carries. Now, every person is uniquely made, but you have to understand every person has a built-in temperament. This means that certain strengths and tendencies are going to come naturally for you where it doesn't for another person. Everyone can benefit from being in solitude, but if you are a natural introvert, you're going to have a greater capacity to withdraw from the crowd and the noise and be by yourself. If you are an extrovert, the idea of a weekend of solitude may scare you to death. So maybe you don't want a whole weekend, maybe just want a day. If you can't handle a day, just try one hour. But once again, everyone can benefit from solitude, but depending on your temperament, it's going gonna, it's gonna to determine whether that is actually going to help you to connect with God or not. Or how much time you ought to spend in solitude to connect with God or not. You know, introverts are not more spiritual than extroverts because they are able to have longer times of solitude with God. Listen here. And on the other hand, extroverts are not more spiritual than introverts because they are able to love and engage people so brilliantly in the body of Christ. Although it sounds like the better of the two. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Everyone's got a different temperament. Uh, You know, one thing that I implemented recently is... uh, I started setting up uh, one-on-one lunch times with my staff. Uh, and so we have a big team of staff. Uh, you know, you have our Emmaus full-time staff. You have our K-1 per tabernacle staff. Uh, we have our pastors. We have our admins. And so what I do, and our intern pastors, and I try to set up a one-on-one lunch time with a different staff each day. And what I noticed is I really enjoy it. You know, you know, people can get the wrong impression when they come to the office and, and, you know, they try to say hi. You know, if you knock on my door and you try to say hi and I'm in the middle of something, you know, you know, you might feel like a cold shoulder. It's not that I don't love you. It's that I'm in the middle of something. If you didn't make an appointment, I mean, would you go to the, the Oval Office in the White House and just walk on in. You happen to be at the White House, so let me say hi to the Mr. President. And you just knock on Mr. President while he's doing, uh, you know, foreign uh, relations, you know, policies. And you knock on his door in the middle of him working on his foreign relations policies. You think he's going to be like, hey, how you doing? Let me give you a hug. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. And so I'm not saying I'm the president of the United States, but I'm just saying, like, it's just a reasonable thing. So, you know, like sometimes people get the wrong impression. Like Pastor Christian would rather be by himself the entire day. He just wants to work in his office by himself the entire day. <laughs> and it's not true. And so I go out on these lunch and, 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 you know, I thought that these lunch dates would be a burden. I admit because I have so much work on my hands. I have so much pressure, you know, uh, so much foolishness. We got to, you know, shepherd people through, you know, like. 
I thought these one-on-ones with the staff would be a burden, but when I, when I just like cut myself out from the work and I just pull myself away and I go to the lunch, I've like thoroughly enjoyed it. More so with some staff than others. <laughs> but I've enjoyed it. What I want to say is I feel alive when I'm having that lunch with the staff. And you would think having lunch with the staff, having lunch with a friend, having lunch with your community group member, what's spiritual about that? It, come on. If you're an extrovert, that may, that may be what gets you going. That makes you feel like you might even externally process revelation about God you read in the morning and you couldn't figure out. But then all of a sudden you're talking to your friend out loud and the person's not even listening. But as you're externally processing, it just makes all sense. Clarity comes. Some temperaments, they like routine and strict discipline. They're great at making prayer lists. And then they stick with it for like 40 years. <laughs> and other temperaments, they crave spontaneity and change. And for people who are more spontaneous, you may have tried a prayer list and felt like you weren't even a Christian because you couldn't even get it going for a week. And I, what I want to tell you today is it's, because, it's not because you don't love God. Okay? It's just that you have a temperament that is more spontaneous rather than organized. Spontaneous people love God too. They're just a lot more messy while doing it. Be aware of your temperament and engage in activities that make you fit full of life. Third is, what is my pathway? There's a book by Gary Thomas. And he's come up with this thing called Sacred Pathways. I'll just describe them uh, quickly here. Sacred Pathways are ways that naturally help us to experience the presence of God. Now, some people are ascetics. And they experience God the most when they are engaged in spiritual disciplines like solitude, meditation, prayer, and fasting. And that's their sacred pathway. Some are activists, and they sense God's presence the most when they are engaged in a great cause. And you might, if you're an ascetic, look at the activists and say, when is that person ever connecting with God? And might judge them. But you're wrong for doing that. You can't use your sacred pathway to condense someone else's sacred pathway. For them, they're experiencing the presence of God as they're doing the activism. Uh, others are caregivers who feel God's spirit most alive in them and flowing through them when they're serving somebody. You know, some people have that gift of hospitality. And you go over their house and, you, and you're like, hey, let's just talk. And you're more of a talker, right? You're more of a people person. You're just like, hey, let's talk about the week. Let's talk about the month. And they're just like, hold on. Let me put the uh, cookies in the oven. <laughs> All right. Okay. After the cookies. Oh, wait, I got to cook the broccoli. Let me got to see you check up on the broccoli. Okay, after the broccoli, I'm working on the salad. Made my own salad dressing from scratch <laughs> with avocado and <laughs> fresh ingredients, you know, from the organic supermarket. You know, and you, you're just like, man, I can't get this person to sit down. But for them, if they have a hospitality gift, they're feeling most fully alive. They're feeling the Holy Spirit flowing through them as they're serving others. And that's their sacred pathway. Some are enthusiasts, and they feel closest to God when they're spending time with people. Others are intellectual, and they experience God when they learn something 
That's me. That's why it's got to be a nonfiction book. When I'm learning something, man, I just feel the spirit of God. I, I feel like manifesting, even though I don't. But I feel like manifesting. I feel like if, if I should manifest, I should manifest right now because I feel so much of the presence and spirit of God. Some are, some are intellectual like that. Uh, then there are naturalists, and they experience God. And, and this sounds a little new age, but there aren't people like this. One of them does not go to this service. She goes to the next service. <laughs> but one of our campus directors at Emmaus, I mean, she literally experiences God when she, she hugs a tree. <laughs> so there are naturalists who experience God in nature. You know, and, and you know, people who work for National Geographic, all right, I'm pretty sure that they're in it because they enjoy it and they feel full of life when they do it. Because you know what? Setting up a camera and watching monkeys for six hours. I mean, you better enjoy that. And I think those are more, those are more the naturalists. There are naturalists in Christianity, you know. There are tradi- traditionalists who finds God the most in church liturgy. You know, but we, we all experience that in praise and worship. Uh, some people, when they take communion... I mean, you, you give them that communion element and they start shaking and the lips start quivering and tears are coming down. And you're like, wow, <laughs> they are really experiencing God. And it's like pretty consistent. They really experience God during communion. And other people, they're like, all right, let me try real hard this time. I'm thinking about you, Jesus. Think about that cross. I thank you for it. I thank you for it. All right, here goes the bread. And, you know, I think the reformers debated each other on the, how to interpret uh, the communion elements. They, they debated with each other because they had different sacred pathways. For some of them, they were probably crying and weeping as they took part in communion. And then Zwingli, he takes part in communion and he's just like, look, we just got to think about the symbolism. That's all. It's all symbolism. And Calvin's like, no, somewhere in the middle. Holy Spirit is here, but it is symbols. Martin Luther, I feel you, but I feel you Zungli as well. Let's meet in the middle. You know, and, and I think everyone has a different sacred pathway. Uh, there are sensates. These are people who experience God through the five senses. Like some people would just eat a delicious cookie and just start crying. <laughs> like people in the uh, food industry. I mean, literally, they can, they, you know, like ratatouille, the little rat in the ratatouille. <laughs> there, are, there are people like that. They have weird senses of taste on their tongues and they can tell the difference between basil and parsley to this day i cannot tell what the difference is i can smell the difference i can't taste the difference i i, I kid you not i don't know what the difference is you could put you can put either in and I will, i'll be like oh wow that's great <laughs> right but some people they are so sensitive in their senses that that god actually they encounter god through those things and there's contemplative people that like solitude uh, so, you know, I post this list on my Facebook page for you. You can look through it and discover your own sacred pathway. But I, want, I just want to compare, uh, encourage you, don't compare your sacred pathway with somebody else's. And don't feel inferior because your sacred pathway looks different than someone else's. Embrace the way God has designed you and God has ordained certain pathways for you to grow spiritually. Third is, what is my learning style? This is a... Pretty simple one. Everyone has a different learning style. 
teachers who study education, they're well aware of this. I'll point out the ones that were mentioned in the book. Some, best, some learn best by seeing through visual. Others learn best by hearing. That's auditory. Uh, the next one's me. Some are, learn best tactile by doing. Like, if you sit me through a lecture, you know, I'll learn a few things. But if you just let me start doing it, man, I'm, I'm, I'm learning within the first five minutes. I just like to learn trial and error by doing. Um, it's great uh, for building a church because building a church, you know, there's a lot of trial and error involved, a lot of grace involved. But really bad if you're a parachute maker, all right? You don't, <laughs> don't want to be a tactile learner. Okay, because there's no second chances on that. Uh, fourth uh, mentioned is uh, oral. By saying, you learn. Like, just as you're talking, you learn. Um, fifth is uh, social. In groups, you learn through what other people are saying. Logical. This is a linear process when things are presented to you in a very logical, linear way. And last is imaginative. Through the arts. Images. Sounds. Stories. I'm, I admit that's not me. Like, I don't learn much when I go to an art museum. Now, if I go to an art museum and there are captions, I love captions. I mean, I will go see an art piece. I'll be like, oh, that's fascinating. And I'll study the caption. My eyes will be on the caption longer than the art piece. I'm a, I, I have the intellectual side, right? I just want to learn things, right? Other people, they don't even look at the caption. They just look at the art. Tear comes down. <laughs> I just, I just don't, I don't relate. I don't understand what's going on in their hearts. Anyway, if someone loves reading the Bible more than you, it does not necessarily mean that they love God more than you. It may just necessarily mean that they just love reading. They just love reading more than you. Amen. Amen. Man, so don't you know? Don't feel guilty. Find, find your path. There's a freedom for you to find your path. Uh, fourth is, what is my signature sin? Very fascinating. This is one of the most fascinating items that I read in the book. And there's actually a whole chapter dev- uh, devoted to this. Because you are unique, you also have a unique set of temptations. Uh, there's an author named Michael Mangus, and he calls this your signature sin. And if you want to read more about it, it's in chapter 13 of this book by John Ortberg, The Me I Want to Be. And there's nine profiles of signature sins. Very fascinating. And when I read through the nine, I immediately found my three. But I'm not going to share with you what that is because very embarrassing. Anyway, it, uh, the signature sin is based on the idea that your life has certain patterns, relationships, temperaments, and gifts that are unique to you. And you tend to be more vulnerable to certain temptations. In other words, no one sins quite like you. We don't sin at random. There is a consistent and predictable course that we take. And what you'll find in life is that the sins you are most tempted by are often connected to your strengths and gifts. So, for example, people with leadership gifts easily fall into the sin of using others. Just using and abusing people. Uh, peacemakers are often tempted to avoid conflict, even when it is long overdue. 
You know, marriages fall apart in divorce because peacemakers just avoid conflict. They never talk about it until it's too late. Uh, people who are naturally spontaneous are often tempted by their impulses. People who have gifts and empathy easily fall into peer pressure. Being mindful of your sin patterns can help you overcome barriers to your spiritual growth. So here's my confession. My signature sin has to do with being an extrovert. So because I'm an extrovert and I'm in leadership, I realized over the years, and I hate to admit this, but I confess that I'm prone to gossip. Like a little high school cheerleader. <laughs> I, I'm just prone to gossip. And I hate to admit it. Let's move on from that one. <laughs> anyway, uh, another thing I do uh, that I already mentioned, I also love to learn. But what happens is when I apply um, my learning you know, passion toward a particular subject... I'm often tempted afterward to look down on and talk down to people who are not familiar with the subject. It's a temptation of mine. I'm constantly learning, so I'm constantly feeling better than everybody. (laughs) It it is my signature sin. I'm sorry. Many of you probably are like, oh, that's obvious, Pastor Christian. Uh, Hey, it's a revelation for me, all right? This is very, I'm being vulnerable before you right now. <laughs> hey, my wife will tell you that I'm constantly being condescending toward her regarding subjects that she has no ideas about. So if we're talking about computers, man, I'm constantly talking down to her. I make her feel like, like you know, um, honey, you have to press the on button. <laughs> honey, you have to plug it in, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Anyway, that's my signature sin. Um, uh, one of my signature sin profiles is that I'm a reformer. So I have a very high standard of excellence in everything that I do. Reformers make great surgeons, surgeons and golfers because they're very precise. They don't make mistakes, right? And so I have that reformer side of me. But my weakness is that I'm easily tempted to judge and dismiss people whose standards are not so high. So I'm constantly doing that when I'm meeting other pastors. You know, pastors are like, oh, I just want to meet with you. Just get some coffee. And I'm just like, oh, tell me about your ministry. And I, and I start hearing about their ministry. And I go, um, I'll get back to you. And immediately, I just, I just look down. That's just my temptation. Um, I also have such high standards. This is me being very vulnerable. I struggle with a deep, secret sense of inadequacy. I give off and exude confidence. But when I'm alone with God, I'm going, Lord, uh, I'm standing these really high standards, but I'm having a hard time meeting up to these standards. I've given these high standards to my staff, but I keep showing up late to the office. You know, I have this deep, secret sense of inadequacy. And, you know, it's, it's my struggle. And it's part of my signature sin. Now, being mindful of your signature sin is important because it helps you to experience freedom from sin, which often hinders us in our oneness with God and growth toward godliness. You know, the goal of spiritual growth is freedom. And spiritual disciplines should lead to a greater level of freedom. It's like a highly trained violinist that practices scales in the very beginning. 
You practice your scales not so that you can be limited by your scales, but that that discipline of doing the scales actually sets you free to play a Mozart masterpiece without even thinking. You ever look at a violinist, first violinist at a really big concert? It's effortless. You know, you know I, my sister used to have violin, and sometimes I go in her room, and I'm like, man, this is easy, whatever, man, it's a piece of cake. And I would try it, right? And I'd try to, like, shake one hand while steadying the bow, but it's like this. <laughs> Wait, uh, stop that! How do they do this? <laughs> very hard, very difficult. But you do those scales, you do those little uh, exercises as a violinist so that you can perform with incredible freedom when it comes to performance day. Well, as Christians, we need to embrace the idea that freedom is not only the goal for our growth, but freedom is also needed on the path toward growth. So, which means we cannot just be limited in thinking, you know, quiet time, quiet time, quiet time only. But you go take your CG to the beach and you watch the sun set together. You know? Um, but that right there, like your CG, CG member struggling with depression. The whole semester, got healing and deliverance, everything, but still struggling. And you go take them to a sunset, and all of a sudden, because they're a naturalist, they see that sunset, and depression just breaks off of them. And they're like, it's so strange. When that sun set, it's almost like my depression just set. <laughs> it just disappeared. And, and you're like, wow, God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> Uh, but we do want to keep in mind uh, that freedom is not the same as self-indulgence. If you want to become a great writer, but all you do is watch YouTube videos and eat junk food all day, that's not freedom. That's indulging in the flesh. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another in love. So don't use your... like We are called to freedom... We ought to embrace freedom along the process, but don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh, the sinful nature. When you're aware of your signature sins, it, takes, it makes you less vulnerable to them. You can overcome them better. Last question. Uh, first question was, uh, what makes me feel fully alive? Second was, what is my temperament? Third is, what is my pathway? Fourth is, what is my... Uh, learning style. Oh, no. Wait. Did I do did that right? Yeah. Oh, I guess it's six. I'm sorry. Uh, so first is what makes me feel fully alive. Second is what is my temperament. Third is what is my pathway. Fourth is what is my learning style. Fifth is what is my signature sin. And sixth and last is what season am I in? This is very important, especially for the younger believers in here. How you grow and what helps you to grow will depend on the season that your spiritual walk is in. When I was young, my mom used to uh, plant tomato vines in our ghetto little tiny front yard in Philly. And I noticed that sometimes she would drive wooden sticks into the ground. And as the tomato vines grew, it would grow and wrap around these wooden sticks. And it would help the tomato vines to grow upwards. The same 
It's true of a Christian who is young in their spiritual walk. There is so much to learn as a baby believer. How to pray, how to read the Bible, learning Orthodox Christian doctrine, who is Christ, learning about sacraments, learning about the importance of community, missions. You know, there's so many things to learn as a baby believer. And since everything is so new to a baby believer, structure is very, very important. If you want that baby believer to grow upwards and mature, you're going to need to put some structure around them. So attending Sunday service, joining a community group, uh, receiving accountability, going to a prayer meeting. All of the new recruits, the new leaders that were accepted onto leadership today. You know, I require Sunday swim prayer meetings and joint prayer meetings from you guys, right? It's because the reason I require those prayer meetings is because I believe that structure is going to be a blessing for you as a new leader. It's because it's going to establish you. It's, the prayer meeting itself is going to train and transform you. But not only that, it's going to establish you in the promises that New Philly is holding on to. So coming out to the prayer meetings and having the structure around you as a new leader, very important. But here's the thing. As a person matures, they may find that the structure that helped in one season may actually hinder them in another. And for those who are very disciplined, you're thinking, that's preposterous. Heresy. Okay, no. Before you judge, listen to what I'm saying here. Uh, New Philly active leaders, all, all of our mature leaders here. Maybe in the first few years of being on leadership with our church, going to Sunday swim was an incredible blessing. It was like going on a first date with somebody you are on dating protocol with. I mean, someone that you have romantic interest in. And you may have come to Sunday swim, looked forward to it. It was exciting. But somewhere along the way, you feel like you're doing you're coming to Sunday Swim solely out of obligation rather than joy. And what you're finding is, it's actually making you feel more distant from God in the community rather than closer to God. And if that's the case, listen to me, active and more mature leaders in the house. If that's the case, come and talk to me. I am happy to bless you to stop coming to Sunday Swim. For a few weeks. Not going may actually reawaken your perspective and desire for why it was important in the first place. And if I think that you're at a good place and you're really earnestly trusting the Lord, I'm going to bless you. Just go ahead. Miss Sunday swim. You know what? Miss Sunday service. <gasps> yes. Miss Sunday service. Go, go, to, go to another church service. And doing that for a month may actually help you to grow. If that's the case, I'm all for it. For New Philly members, uh, especially those who just joined membership today, I, I want to say that I think the structure of attending a weekly Sunday service is very, very important. All right? And especially if you're new to our community or you're just coming back to the Lord, uh, coming every Sunday is vital for your continued momentum and growth. Uh, but I want to say this. I do not think it is evil for you to miss Sunday service. It is not a sin for you to miss Sunday service. 
it is not a sin for you to miss Sunday service. And if you're at a place of health and maturity, I'm even willing to bless you. And this is for those who are more mature, right? I'm willing to bless you not to just even visit other church services, but just to miss Sunday service. Miss like three Sunday services. You may look at me like I'm crazy right now. I, yes, I'm the pastor and I'm telling you. If you're, if you're at a place of maturity and you feel like Sunday service is actually hindering your spiritual growth, then miss it. I, but talk to me before you do that. Don't do that on your own, right? Talk to me and I'll bless you to do that. It's not a sin to miss Sunday service. Remember that in the Bible, Moses and Jesus missed worship services for over a month. And it was God's, it was God's idea. Oh, Pastor Isaac's loving it back there. <laughs> you know, as your, as your pastor, my goal for you is not perfect attendance. My goal for you is Colossians 1.28. It's to teach and admonish everyone with all wisdom so that I can present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's my goal. That's my goal. And so although on the membership covenant we require attendance and we check your attendance and all that stuff, my goal for you in doing that, putting that structure down, is not for you to get perfect attendance. It's for you to grow. Spiritual formation. Spiritual maturity, growth and godliness, that's my goal. And if you feel like my long sermons are no longer helping you but hindering your spiritual formation, then by all means, talk to me and pray for me. That I can close these sermons in 45 minutes. You know, I wrote down here today. I wrote like, today is the day. 45 minutes. <laughs> but you know what I think? You know what I think? You know what I think? I think preaching long sermons is my sacred pathway. <laughs> maybe this. Maybe, maybe this author forgot one. All right? But here, 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 here. Look, look. Look. I know, I know a lot of people who can't stand long sermons. You guys are not even here. And people stopped coming a while ago, right? But, the, but for y'all who are coming out every week, I mean, you're tolerating it, right? You're tolerating it because, you know, you're engaged. You're, you're, you're learning something or, or you're enjoying. You're feeling the anointing flowing, right? And so I feel that too. And so it feels so good. I just feel fully alive. And so, so I hope you understand where I'm coming from. Sometimes it's hard to land that. It's so, sometimes it's hard to cut that. Because, you know, I'm feeling alive. I want to flow. I want to flow more. I just feel like I got a little bit more to flow. And, as I'm, and sometimes I'm not flowing. I understand. <laughs> I'm indulging the flesh. But, you know, I don't bat a thousand, all right? I, I, I don't have perfect discernment every time. But, you know, I appreciate your grace. You know, you guys, really, you guys are such a gracious congregation. <laughs> <laughs> Anna Rowe, I'm going to elbow drop you. Uh, you guys are very gracious. You guys are very gracious. And I appreciate your patience and just how nice you guys are. 
regarding my long sermons. Uh, I do believe that I do need to shorten it in order for our church to grow more. Um, so I'm still committed to that. Please pray for me. Uh, to end the sermon, I just want to say your path to spiritual growth, spiritual formation, spiritual maturity is going to be unique. So I'm just here. The bottom line message today is be yourself. Find your own unique pathway. If you're a young believer, embrace the structure that we're giving you. Go with it. Grow. Get some momentum on your life. But as you mature, find your own unique path. Because God is not a mass producer. He is a potter. You know what a potter does, right? He takes that clay that's moldable, shapeable, and runs it through his fingers. That's more of an accurate picture of how God is forming you in spirituality. He's got his hands all over you. He's personally shaping you. So don't feel guilty. My pastor Yonggi chose three-hour prayer life. You go find your own prayer life. That's going to look and make you feel fully alive with God. Amen? Amen. Vicky, amen? All right. Let's pray. Lord Father, I just thank you that your word says we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so, Father, we just thank you that we're not on an assembly line. Our spirituality and spiritual maturity is not being built up on an assembly line. You got your hands on us personally. You meet us And you want us just to be ourselves, embrace the way we were created, our personality, our temperaments. And I just pray that in this room, as your spirit fills each person, that they will find freedom. They will find your blessing to discover all the beautiful ways in which they can encounter you whether it's producing music in a studio or just painting an art piece or rapping with an incredible lyrical genius or just being silent before you in solitude. I pray each person will discover all the meaningful ways in which they can feel fully alive when they feel filled your spirit. And they will grow. And they will grow. And they will grow. For my heart's jealousy is for them to be presented fully mature in Christ. That they may grow in godliness which is profitable in all things. Yeah, I just pray that. Let's pray that over them, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.